listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to be. Luke chapter 10. We're studying through the book of Luke. I can't remember if it was Wes or Kay. I think it was Kay that asked me the other day. He said, so Dad, how long are you going to be in, uh, in the book of Luke? I mean, how long is this going to take? And, and I said, I have no idea. I really have no idea. Don't map it out. Don't, uh, don't plan that far ahead. I know how far we're going to go today. And then we'll see about next week and then beyond. But, you know, really, are we in a hurry? Anybody in a hurry? I mean, we're, we're just, Jesus can come back anytime, right? He could go ahead and come back tomorrow and or today. In fact, before we get done talking about Luke, we'll let him finish it and correct all my errors. How about that? I mean, I'm cool with that. You know, otherwise, we're just going to keep going and I'm going to get older and so will you and eventually we'll hit other portions of the scripture. So that's just kind of the way we're going to do. And all the while, we're just going to keep representing him. Uh, hopefully more today than yesterday. And by his grace, more tomorrow than we did today. Luke chapter 10, verse number 25 is where we'll begin. Luke tells us, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, the lawyer that is, he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus, said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? Jesus asked. He, the lawyer, said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. Let's ask God's blessing on the teaching of his word. Father, we pray that you'll help us today as we walk through a very familiar portion of Scripture, one that I'm sure every Christian is fully aware of. In fact, this one is known and and could be repeated by many in the world who have never bowed the knee. 
confessing Jesus as Lord. Very familiar piece of Scripture. Easy to overlook, thinking that we know all we can know about it. And walk away from it, having not been changed one ounce. God, we ask that you will help us to hear the words of your Son today. As he shows not only this man the lesson he intends to show, but as he reveals to us those same truths that he calls us to walk in if we will be his representatives. And then God, give us the courage to walk it out in real time and to go ahead and decide right now before we even get into the lesson that whatever it is you say, well, that's what we're going to do. And I pray that will be true for each and every one of us, young and old. We thank you for the opportunity to be gathered together in freedom. We look forward to how you're going to use this time to build us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of us the church said, amen. So on the heels of what we saw last week, the 72 witnesses returning and Jesus interacting with them and, and using that as a, an opportunity, a, a teachable moment. The 72 came back. They were so excited about the, the, the fact that, that they, under Jesus' authority and under the power that he had given them as his representatives, he sent them ahead of, them, ahead of, the, of the crew and, and, and was basically uh, pronouncing the message of the kingdom in advance to those that would hear it from Jesus in the days to come. When they came back, they were so excited about the fact that, that not only had they been given the authority to preach that message, not only had they been given the power to heal the sick in Jesus' name, but they came back so elated that the evil spirits also were subject to them. They were so excited, and that was the, the driving thing between them all. Is Can you believe the, the demons actually responded in subjection to us in the name of Jesus. And Jesus took that as an opportunity to, to teach them the fact that, yes, as representatives of Christ, at least in that period at that time, they had very specific authority over sickness in Jesus' name, over demons in Jesus' name. And yes, that's something to be excited about. And there's going to be so much more to be excited about in the days to come. However... He reminded them that their joy should be grounded not in these things that are temporary and unique to their circumstance or going on the right now, the victories that they're winning and seeing, but they're rejoicing. Their joy should be in the fact that their names are written in God's ledger, that they are his children by faith in this one Jesus who they've correctly identified as Messiah. And so Jesus helped them, not, not scold them for being excited about a victory. Yes, there are going to be lots of victories, and they're worthy of our celebration. But there are going to be times when victories are, are far away and not seen and, and not felt because we're going through trial and tribulation and difficulty. And Jesus is reminding us that even in those times, we have cause to rejoice. Why? Because we're still on the team. The team's going to win, and Jesus is going to lead us triumphant. Amen? Okay. On the heels of that, it seems as though Luke places this story that might not have been like immediately after this scene... 
But because of some of the things that Jesus says, I think Luke takes and places this little interaction that he had with a lawyer because of the things that Jesus said afterward. Remember after he corrected their their misunderstanding of why we should be celebrating, then it says that Jesus began to rejoice. What are the things Jesus rejoiced in? Well, the first one was that God had hidden the secrets of the kingdom from the wise and understanding of the area. Jesus was rejoicing that God had hidden these things from them. Why would Jesus rejoice that there are folks that God has closed their eyes to the truths of the message of the kingdom? Well, it was because those who were wise and understanding in Israel knew exactly who Jesus was, knew exactly the things that he was saying were true and accurate and were reflective of Messiah to come, But because these individuals were against the ramifications of Jesus' message, because these individuals were unwilling to repent and recognize their own sin and their own need of a Savior, they were rejecting Jesus having full knowledge even though they were choosing not to believe the things that they knew to be true. It's like if I go to the store and choose to buy a large shirt knowing good and well the ones that fit me are two sizes above that, right? I can think that a large shirt fits me, but the evidence demonstrates otherwise. Well, that's what these men were doing. They knew good and well the shirt didn't fit, but that's the one they were wearing. And Jesus says, Father... I thank you that you are hiding truths from those who are unwilling to embrace the truth they should know. Well, I think what Luke does is places this little scene. Because of Jesus' statement, he says, And then there came along one who was wise and had understanding. It says, Behold... A lawyer stood up to put him to test. Now, what is this lawyer? Well, it's an expert in the law. Luke primarily uses this word lawyer. Uh, In uh, the other Gospels, you'll see more often the word scribe is used. These are experts in the Old Testament law. These are folks that you would go to and you would say to them, you know, I was planning to do such and such on Sabbath, but can you tell me, is that okay for me to do? And they would be able to tell you with precision what what the law said you could and could not do. And not only that, they could tell you with precision not only what the law said, but how it was interpreted by the various schools of thought, those being the Sadducees or the Pharisees or the Essenes or the Herodians. They could tell you how those truths were interpreted by whichever group you were trying to impress. These guys were, if anything, the wise men of Israel, the lawyers. And it seems as though what this guy was doing was standing up and doing a very normal thing. Now it says that he stood up to put Jesus to test. Now that is true, what he's doing is he's trying to entrap Jesus. 
He's trying to present a question that Jesus' answer is going to begin contradicting other things so that the lawyer can walk away saying, see there, this guy doesn't know his stuff. He can't even answer this, that, or the other. Okay, you want to put this guy and make him a really, really bad dude, but don't go so far as to make him like uh, malicious because this was a very common thing done between the quote-unquote wise individuals. They like to spend time arguing about the things that they know. If you have middle school and high school students in your home, you know what that sounds like. They just like to argue. They like to talk about things that you may or may not be able to even resolve, but they have the answer, and if you have an answer, then it's wrong. You give them enough time, then they will talk you out of your opinion. It's been put to me by members of my family that I would make a good lawyer. Because once I begin making my point, I have a tendency to not stop making my point until I exasperate those I'm arguing with and therefore leaves me the winner. (laughs) But you all know that makes me the loser. Okay, so the lawyer's doing something very common. But it does say he's putting Jesus to test, and it does seem as though he's trying to entrap him. Look what he says. He says, teacher, which would have been not like a, a way of saying rabbi. He, he was being respectful, but, but Jesus wasn't from any school of thought. He didn't follow behind another rabbi and get promoted. Jesus just walked out on the scene teaching and preaching and gathering disciples like he was somebody, like he knew something about something. Well, I mean, being that he is God the Son in the flesh, the Messiah, I reckon he did and didn't need to sit under anybody. But this guy, you know, he's like, who is this Jesus? And and I keep hearing stuff about him. I'm going to throw one out there and just see how he responds. Teacher, Rabbi, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, now, first of all, it's a trick question. Is is anybody ever been around someone who inherited a fortune? You ever you ever seen that happen? A, 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 an elder pass away, and the and the, the folks that are that they're survived by inherit a a, a, a large sum, or they inherit uh, what? What did they do to inherit that? Nothing. They were born. They were just a relative. They were just someone in the lineage. So it's interesting that he's saying, what must I do in order to inherit? Well, if you're going to inherit something, then you don't have to do anything to get it. And if you're doing something, it's not an inheritance, it's wages, it's earned income. Well, there's a lot going on here, and we don't have time to talk about it, but I will tell you this, that the Israelites believed that because they were descendants of Abraham, who did God choose to begin the nation of Israel, the people that he would use to bring about the promises that he intended and and the fulfillments of those things that he was going to do? He chose Abraham, a nobody out of nowhere. And out of Abraham, he he brought along uh, Isaac. Out of Isaac, he brought uh, Jacob and Esau. Out of Jacob, he brought 12 sons. Out of those 12 sons, he brought all kinds. And before long, there really were a bunch of them. Maybe not as many as the sands on the sea, but I don't think God was 
being literal when he said that to Abraham as much as he was saying, wow, we're a big old nation now. Look what God has done. And the people of Israel assumed, they presumed that because they were descendants of Abraham, that when Messiah came, they would enter the kingdom of Messiah because of what kind of blood ran through their veins. That was their expectation. That was their assumption. But now we've had a guy jump up on the scene. We saw him for just a little while before Herod took off his head saying things like, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for Messiah is coming. Well, what I need to repent for, if, if, if I'm already going to get it, then what am I repenting? Why do I need to do anything in response to God? Because I'm already in. And so they began scratching their heads. And then Jesus comes on the scene talking about uh, the kingdom of heaven being at hand and, and make ready and calling people to follow him, and and teaching things that were contrary to what the the teachers of the law, and the the priests, and the the Pharisees, and the synagogue leaders. And and so this lawyer stands up, and I think he's using Jesus' analogies, things he's heard, and saying, Jesus, I'm hearing you guys talk about needing to do something. Now don't let that trip you up, because here's the truth. You can't do anything to be forgiven for your sin. You can't do anything to be redeemed and to be brought into the family of God. If you've done something to get it, then you don't have the salvation that Jesus is offering. Because the salvation Jesus is offering is by faith because of what he has done. And what has he done? He has taken your sin in mind and he has paid for it on the cross. He has been put in the ground dead like you and I under the curse of death. But then on the third day, God raised him from death, hell, sin, the grave for you, for me. And by faith in what Jesus has done, we inherit eternal life because we become a part of the family, not of Abraham, but of God. Thank you, Stephen. That was a good spot to clap. That's awesome. So, you don't do nothing to be saved. But that's what these folks are hearing. So he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Trying to trip Jesus up. Well, Jesus volleys the question back to him, and he says, Basically, respectfully. See, a lot of times when Jesus does this, I, I put a smart aleck tone in Jesus' mouth, but that would be sin. That, that's me. I'm the smart. I, that's the way I would like to seem to. That's not the way Jesus. Jesus would have very respectfully, very honorably volleyed it back. And he said, what is written in the law? Verse 26. How do you read it? Well, you're an expert in the law, and I think Jesus respected that. This man had put study after study, hours after hours after years after years in studying the law. And you know what? I mean, what would be a better use of your time than the study of God's Word? But notice what he says. How do you read it? 
Because over and over again, Jesus was combating the way that they read his words. They were reading it incorrectly. And from, you know, time after time after time, Jesus is correcting. You've heard it said. And then he quotes scripture. And then Jesus would go, but I say unto you, I'm correcting what y'all have misunderstood. And so he says, what is written? How do you read it? And, and this guy provides an expert answer. He provides a, a, a wonderful answer. Here's what he does. He quotes Deuteronomy 6, 5 when he says, and he answered verse 27, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Deuteronomy 6, 5. The, the Jewish people would recite this at least two times a day. That was part of their normal practice. They would recite this, word, this, this scripture and they would also recite the Shema. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And thou shalt love the Lord your God. Okay, so they would repeat this at least a couple of times a day. And basically what this guy says is that, you know, everything there is about my, my relationship with God can be boiled down to this one command Love God fully and completely and with everything you have. Undivided love and affection and attention and submission to God and nothing else and no one else at any point. Now that's a, that's a lofty, do, do we agree that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, our energy? Yeah. Anybody ever done that? I mean, because if you're doing that, you got no business being here. Because the rest of us, we, we love God. We want to love him more. But you know what? We've got other loves that compete. And just, just, just look at the online bank account, right? You see a lot of those loves that compete, right? You just go, oh, oh yeah, yeah, guilty. But the guy boils it down and says, well, here's what the law says that I need to do. I need to love God with everything I've got, all my energies, all my thoughts, all my will, all my desires, everything needs to be fully and focused on the love I have for God. And he goes on to quote Leviticus 19, 18, the same verse, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So you want to know what I think the law says about what I need to do to inherit eternal life? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you're not aware of it, I'm sure most of you are. You're thinking, didn't Jesus say this one time? Yeah, he did. When somebody asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said the same thing. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, because on those two commands hang all the law and the prophets. You love God with everything you've got, and then you love others like you would love yourself if you loved yourself, but you don't because you love God. You love others instead of yourself. And Jesus says... Yes, 
I mean, I could not, and, and again, when I clap, I'm doing it sarcastically. I'm thinking about Elijah on that hillside watching those prophets of Baal try to call down fire going, yes, get it, y'all, pray harder. He may be asleep, but that's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is going, good job. You, you, were, you were taught well. And then, and then he comes and says, verse 28, do this and you will live. He goes, Chad, you got it. Just, just love God with everything and nothing else and love others like you love yourself. Good job, buddy. Do that. Get on that and you'll live. Now, what that lawyer should have done, is he knew better. What he should have done was go, well, Jesus, I'm trying. <laughs> I really am trying. But I just, man, I can't live up to that standard. There's some folks I don't even like, more or less, try to love. I mean, I, I mean I, and, and, and really, I'm trying to love God, but, but man, I've got my eye on this sweet fishing boat. down. But no, I'm just kidding. He goes, that's it? We're agreed? He says, yeah, do this and live. This is an expert answer. This guy studied for decades. And on the biggest stage of his life, you know what he did? He answered the million-dollar question. No lifelines. No, no, no repeats. He got it. Confetti, balloons, lights, cheering. You got it, dude. Go do that. And you can live. Expert. Verse 29, but he, desiring to justify himself, wait a minute, what, what, what are we doing? Well, he, he knows that there's some differing opinions about who your neighbor is. If you ask the Sadducees, they'll tell you one thing. You ask the Pharisees, they'll tell you another thing. You ask the Herodians, don't ask the Herodians. But you ask these folks, they'll tell you all kinds of different things and okay, all right, so that's all I got to do. I want to make sure, I want to make sure that I'm loving the right neighbor and that those that are not the recipients of my love, we're on the same page with. So Jesus, who's my neighbor? So he's already got, I mean, he's, he's already hung himself. He's already said I'm not loving everybody because he's wanting to know are we on the same page? Are there some folks that I need to love that I'm not loving? Well, he's already not loved them. He's already guilty of part of the law and this dude's an expert. He knows if you're guilty of some of the law, you're guilty of all the law. But he had to ask the question, why? He's trying to justify himself. He's trying to make sure I got all my T's crossed, all my I's dotted. I got to make sure that I've done everything I need to do, according to you, to get into the kingdom of heaven. I think because he was already square with the folks he had been taught by, and I think he's wanting to make sure he's got all his bets hedged so that I'm good with them. If I'm good with you, then I can keep on living. Or I can just adjust some things because the last thing I want to do is to be out. If you guys are the only one in, I'm in. If you're the only one in, I won't be in. So let me know, Jesus, who's my neighbor? And I just, are y'all watching The Chosen? Have you seen The Chosen? Love it. You know why? Because that actor, he just, he gets a smirk sometimes. He smiles. He's, he's like, 
human. Jesus was human. Uh, he had emotions and a sense of humor and all that kind of stuff. And, and he'll kind of, you know how, you know how this, I know, it's, I know it's fiction. I don't need emails. Just, I know it's fiction. But I love how the actor just, there'll be that look in his eye like, oh, he's about to say something. I think that's what happened with Jesus. I think he just looked at him and thought, buddy, this will be a good time to teach two points. I'm going to show you just how misunderstood you are about your righteousness. And I'm going to show these folks what it looks like to truly love your neighbor. And so Jesus, I think, leverages this opportunity to teach two lessons. And he gives a parable. What's a parable? It's an earthly story with a, with a, a, a powerful heavenly meaning and generally speaking a parable only teaches one main point so don't go to a parable and try to you know deconstruct it and make it a bunch of different things and most of the time it's just trying to make a singular point he says a man verse 30 was going down from jerusalem to jericho well, notice this man is not named. We don't know what his name is. I think Jesus did this on purpose. Well, we can assume that this man was Jewish because he didn't, he didn't make him un-Jewish. And he's going to name another nationality here in just a second. So we just assume that this man was a Jewish man. And I think what Jesus was doing was making the lawyer see himself in this man. I think that was what Jesus was doing, was trying to give him a character that the lawyer could identify with. He's not going to be able to identify with any of the other players in this. I think that's what Jesus is doing here. And notice he says that this man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Well, now, if you look in the back of your Bible, I know you've got a Bible at home. If you look in the back of your Bible, you'll find a map. And if you look at things on the map, you'll discover, wait a minute, Jericho is north of Jerusalem. You know, so when, when Rhett's coming home from Georgia, I'll say, so when are you coming down? Why? Because geographically speaking, he's coming down the, the United States to the southern uh, part, uh, you know, underneath him. Okay. Well, that's not what Luke was saying. For Luke... He was actually, the man was traveling north, but here's the cool thing. Jerusalem sits about 3,000 feet, uh, I'm sorry, not 3,000, but about 2,200 feet above sea level. Jerusalem sits. Traveled north about 17 to 18 miles to the city of Jericho. You're going to be about 800 feet below sea level. So going from Jerusalem to Jericho, you're going to be going down topographically, not geographically. You're going to be going down about 3,000 feet. So over 17 miles, that's going to be a pretty steep incline. That's a long way to go in a short time of distance. 
And the road between Jericho and Jerusalem was a very rocky road. It was a very mountainous road. It was a very dangerous road to travel, not only because of the terrain, but because this road was a safe harbor for bandits, for robbers, for folks that were watching for vulnerable individuals that they might steal from, that they might mug, that they might gain their own employment through the taking of others' gain. And so this way was winding, this way was dangerous. You would never travel this way alone. Now you could go a different way from Jerusalem to Jericho, but you would have to do that on the western side of the Jordan River, and you would have to go into the Samaritan land, and nobody wanted to do that except Jesus. We'll get to that story later. So the man was going down the normal road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers. Not surprising anybody, especially this lawyer. He's like, well, yeah. I mean, traveling by himself, of course he's going to get my... Listen, there are places in this area that you know you ought not be at certain times of the day or night. Just simply because you're not a part of the community and they are dangerous. And the, and the police will tell you, you don't not know drugs and, and fights and gangs. You don't want to be around there. Well, this guy was by himself at the wrong place at the wrong time. And he fell among robbers who stripped him clothing, very valuable, very hard to come by cloth and clothing. So, so this was a commodity, not just money, but his clothes stripped him. So beat him up, stripped him. And departed, leaving him half dead. Jesus is, are, are we on the same page? Yeah, I got it. No, no, makes total sense. Shouldn't have been there. Beat up, stripped, left half dead. Mugged. Well, now, by chance, Jesus said, by chance, a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. The priest, the Levite, both men with means who could have helped him, both men with positions of authority that could have provided for him, both men called to be the mediating representative between God and His people through the sacrificial system that was still in place at this time that Jesus was alive and ministering. Both individuals who, who had a calling and a responsibility, but when they saw Him, they ignored Him. Now, I think there's a reason why they ignored Him. You see, in in Psalm chapter 139, verses 21 and 22, we got them. Look at this. Psalm 139, 21, 22 says, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? This is a Psalm of David. David is saying, God, wouldn't I hate your enemies? The folks that hate you, Shouldn't I hate them? I think the logical answer is, well, yeah. 
right? I mean, wouldn't that make sense? Yeah. And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? The logical answer was, of course, if they loathe the God of creation, then you should loathe them back. Verse 22, well, I hate them, David says. I hate them with complete hatred, and I count them as my enemies. Well, this is a noble thing David's doing. I mean, what he's doing, like, think about Goliath down there. Like, who is this clown down there screaming against the God of it. Who does he think he is standing there nine foot tall carrying a spear and a, and a sword that it take two of us to kill? Who in the world? I'm going down there. And what he did, I'm going down, I'm a face that y'all coming with, you're not coming, okay, fine, I'll go down here by myself with my little slingshot. And what did he do? One little stone went into the sling and the sling went round. Okay, y'all don't want to sing, fine. He threw the stone, and what did it do? It lodged in the giant's head, boom, down. You go, well, of course David would write in his songs of praise, I hate the ones that hate you, God. I hate them bad. I hate them hard. I want them dead. You know, I'm sure it had a metal sound to it, this psalm. <laughs> What the Pharisees, the wise and understanding of Israel had done is they had taken this verse and they had said, okay, this is how we define who is and who isn't our neighbor. Those who hate God or who are hated by God shall be hated by us. Those who are loved by God and who love God in the way that we have shown them how to love God they are our neighbors. Why did the religious leaders of Israel treat the outcast and the hurting and the diseased and the poor and the sick, why did they treat them with such contempt and one might argue hatred? It's because they had come to understand that those individuals were hated by God or they wouldn't be in that situation. Whereas we, who have our needs met and more to spare, and know more than everyone else knows, and has more than everyone else has, it's obvious that God loves us because we are being lavished by God. And so the religious upper crust would see one another as neighbors, to care for and respect and to love and to honor. But those who were outside of that community were hated by them. Now I find it interesting that they memorized those verses and did not pay much attention to the verses to follow, which aren't on your screen, but let me just read them for you. David follows up with his macho response with this search me O God and know my heart try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting 
You see, what David did was say, God, I hate them. If they hate you, boy, I hate them. Amorites, Amalekites, Moabites, Olamites, I want them gone. And I'll be at the front of the army swinging my sword and chunking my spear. God, just turn me loose on them. I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. But David was wise enough to go, but I need you to search my heart. I need you to know my thoughts. And God, if you tell me that the way I feel about them is not the way you want to feel about them, well, then you show me the way forward, and I'll take that. You see, that's why David was a man after God's own heart. Not because he knew how to lead men into war. He knew that. And when it was time to go to war, God turned him loose. But David was a man who said, but more than the sword and the spears and the accolades and the crowns, more than any of that, God, I just, I just, I just want to be walking with you. So, so you adjust me and my thoughts and my heart to you. Well, that wasn't what the Pharisees were doing. That wasn't what these lawyers were doing. They were cutting it off short, leaving it at to hate. And Jesus, will you confirm for me that I'm loving everybody that I should love? The priest and the Levite walked by this guy, I believe, thinking, well, it's obvious that God hates him or he wouldn't be in that situation. He's where he knew he shouldn't be. He deserves what he got. I got no time for this. I don't want to be messing with somebody God has brought this upon. But a Samaritan, Jesus said. But a Samaritan. Now, if anybody would have been typecast to be the bad guy. In a story, in in, in any kind of thing being told, it'd be a Samaritan. Why? Because all the Israelites, the outcasts, the rejects, and the upper crust, they all hated the Samaritans. You know why? Well, unfortunately, the Samaritans were a remnant of the northern kingdoms of Israel, the ten tribes that broke away from the southern two tribes and were taken into captivity about a hundred years prior to uh, the, the southern captivity to Babylon, the north got taken captive by the Assyrians. And they got deported. And the thing that the Assyrians liked to do was to take a people and then intermix them with other peoples so that they wouldn't have a connection to their heritage. They would just assimilate into the Assyrian way of life and then they would send a bunch of them back to the homeland to bring Assyria with them. And so what you have in the region of Samaria are former Jewish people who had been forced into intermarrying with Gentiles And now we're back in the region of Israel as, if I can say this and you understand, they were half-breeds according to the Jews. They were were half-Jew, half-Gentile, and disgusting. I remember an ESPN commercial where an Ohio State fan and a Michigan State fan, boy and girl, sitting on the couch and they were making out. And the caption underneath said, if it wasn't for college football, this wouldn't be so disgusting. See there, Florida folks, I could have put Georgia in Florida, but I didn't. I'm being nice to y'all this morning, okay? 
Mark that down. Make sure I get points for that, okay? They said, oh, look, look. If anything is worse than the, than the folks in our house that we hate, it's them folks that are half Jew, half Gentile, and trying to live according to their Jewish heritage. Yuck, disgusting. I'm going to go out of my way to travel around your region, even if it takes me longer and the way is harder. So Jesus takes the bad guy, Norm, not Norm, normal. (laughs) He takes the, the normal bad guy and he turns it upside down and he says, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where the man was and when he saw him, he had what, class? Compassion. You see, I can empathize with someone who's hurting and I can go, man, what you're saying to me, I can see how that that would really hurt you. I can see how that would be really hard. But when I show compassion, you know what I do? I move toward them with a desire to invest in that need and to be a part of helping them through, whether financially or through time or through just being a listening ear. I have compassion that moves me. What did he do? He went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. The wine would have acted as an antiseptic. He cleaned the wounds and then the oil he would rub in to soothe the wounds. And then he wrapped him up with his own first aid kit. And then he set him on his own animal. He got down off of his animal, put the man up on, and then walked with him alongside and brought him to an inn where he could take care of this individual. And that's exactly what he did. He took care of him. And then the next day, he had to keep moving on. And he said to the innkeeper, Look, here's two days' wages. I'm going to give this to you. He needs to stay longer. I've got business to do, but I'll be back. I'm giving you these two days wages based, I'm thinking, on how long I think I'm going to be gone, maybe a little extra. And when I come back, if he were to need something that those monies won't fulfill, I'll make that right when I get back. This man is caring for his immediate needs. He's caring for his extended needs. He's caring for his ongoing needs. The Samaritan that would have been hated by the man he was helping. Which of these three do you think, Jesus said, proved to be a neighbor? See, that wasn't a question the man asked. Question asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus says, I ain't going there. I'm going to talk about you. Now, which one of these folks proved to be a neighbor? Well, it's obvious. The answer was, I mean, he, he had this man in a corner. There was no other answer he could give. But you notice he didn't say the Samaritan. Like, I don't even think he could bring himself to say it out loud. What does he say? He said, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, bingo. You had not been loving folks like that, have you? Now, Jesus didn't say that, but he didn't have to. Because the guy would have thought, I hadn't been loving folks like that. 
And, and if you hadn't been loving folks like that, well, you know what that means about your love for God, right? You ain't even close to loving God like that. So, again, Jesus ain't saying none of this, but you're thinking, right? And then I think the man must have felt the pressure of, so how needy does that make you? Now, I don't think that Jesus was putting himself in the place of the Samaritan, but I do find it interesting that in John chapter 8, verse 48, that the Pharisees criticizing Jesus, trying to tear him down, say, shouldn't we call you a Samaritan and say you have a demon? I think maybe the disciples in the back could have been like, man, he'd have been the best Samaritan y'all ever knew. Why? Because what did he do? He was beginning to become public enemy number one, hated, scorned, despised by those who should have known him and loved by those who were experiencing his genuine compassion for them. And I don't think Jesus would have had a bit of problem being seen in the eyes of, hey, you know what? Jesus was kind of like that Samaritan. I think he would have just smiled and nodded. Yeah. He said, how would that? He loved Samaritans too. But we'll get there later. What does he say? He says, go and do likewise, knowing good and well that this man could not go and do likewise. Not enough to grant him entrance into the kingdom. But I think he was thinking about his disciples right behind him who were listening to this story going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's talking about Samaritans. He's talking about love. It sounds like he's wanting us to love everybody. And I think Jesus is saying, go and do likewise. And I recognize that, that many of you that are here today are followers of Jesus. What do we learn? Jesus instructs us on how we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. And he says to you and he says to me, go and do likewise. So I want to ask you this question. Who is it that God has brought to your mind today that has a need that you could meet, but you haven't been meeting? For whatever reason, but God has brought them to your mind and has shown you that they are your neighbor. Who is it? Here's the thing. What does Jesus say? Go and do likewise. J. Dwight Pentecost, one of my late professors at Dallas Seminary, said a neighbor is any person with a need that another knows about and is able to meet. A recognized need that one has the ability to meet makes the needy one a neighbor. And the proof of neighborliness is one's response to the need who has God revealed to you today, right now, that is a neighbor in need that you can meet. And he's calling you to. Are there folks in need around you? Not that you can't see, but that you won't see because of the magnitude of their sin? Because of the publicity of a sin that they're engaged in that, that is in a, in a place of real, you know, uh, out loud public debate right now. And you won't see them as people in need because of the sin in their life. Are there people that you won't see because of their race? 
because of their heritage? Because of their limitations? Maybe it's their politics. I see the need, but I won't look at that because they're not in line with where I am politically. They have a different political thought, a different worldview. They have a different way, so I can't look at them. I can't care for them because they're outside of my box. Maybe they're of of another religion. We've all thought of how we want the success of our Military, not that we're fighting in, but that are going overseas and we want to see them wipe out the enemy. And you know what? That's exactly what David thought. But then he said, but God know my heart. I know you love them. Had a chance a few weeks back to see a old high school friend of mine. Her name is Patty May. And she posted on Facebook a very challenging word. And here's what it was. You'll never look into the eyes of someone that is not fully loved by Christ. You'll never look into the eyes of someone that you go, I can pass them by because they're not my neighbor. God's judgment is on them. No. No, they're loved. Just as much as you, thank God they're loved because you were in their place at one time too. I'm going to make it practical by asking you, would you make regular time to go where the needs are in order to see them and try to meet them? Mission 12, 24, 48. Deciding that you would give an hour a month with a ministry that we're connected with, the mission FX ministry and the refuge, life choice, youth for Christ. You say, I'll give them an hour a month to where I can go to where the need is. So I can learn how to see them and meet them. You say, okay, well, that's big. I want to do that. How do I get connected? Well, I've got some ways. Because what season are we about to enter into? Thanksgiving, Christmas. I want to challenge everybody in this room, watching online and watching after the fact, to partner with this church in a specific Oasis Church community need this holiday season. The first one you've gotten an email about. It's Thanksgiving at the mission. I need 10 large pans of sweet potato souffles. I've currently only gotten responses, to my knowledge, for two. Three? Cool. I need ten. You think we could leave here today having that need met? Seven folks saying, I'll make a large pan of sweet potato souffle. Good. I need ten volunteers. This is uh, November the 20th. It's a Saturday. I need ten volunteers that will go to the mission and serve the folks that are going to eat on Saturday November the 20th. I've already got five. I need five more. You reckon we could finish that out today? I think we could. Good. We've met our need. Let's pray. Let's leave. No. No. Because on tomorrow, you're going to get an email about our partnership with Youth for Christ for Thanksgiving and Christmas. For Thanksgiving, Raphael would like to put together 40 
Thanksgiving week baskets for some of the poorest kids in the Westwood Middle School area. Y'all know that's our area, right? He wants to put together baskets, and, and so I'm thinking, could this church not give it, you know, 10 of those? Could we not put them together? You're going to have all the list of items. You say, well, I, I can't give all the items. I just want to give some stuff. Awesome. Give some stuff. You see what the items are. So I, I don't have the time and all that. Can I give some money? You sure can. I'll show you how. So that we can partner. And then we're going to, uh, uh, Charlie and Luann's life group, going to get information about their Christmas lists. The kids that I'm working with, and so is Raphael, on Tuesday mornings have got Christmas lists because many of them have never experienced Christmas. We got a list of stuff. You reckon we could put a dent in that list of stuff? I reckon we could. Faith Extreme on Thanksgiving Day. They're going to be doing a, 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 a Thanksgiving lunch at Westwood Middle School. They need volunteers from Westwood. I have folks all the time going, hey, what can we do on Thanksgiving? Because y'all want to serve on Thanksgiving Day. That's awesome. I got your way. I can show you how. It's just a matter of you deciding, okay, Lord, I'm going to go and do likewise. Any, anybody at Oasis Church exempt from going and doing likewise? No, but I'm not going to bug anybody. I'm just going to let Jesus say what he said. Give the opportunities out. They're on the way. You've already got some of them. You say, I didn't get the email. I want to, I want to do a pan. Come find me. I'll write your name down. I'll add you to the list. I want to volunteer. I'll write down. It's cool. Y'all, inundate me. We'll run a pen out of an ink in order to get that stuff down. Let's do it, right? Let's go and do likewise. Why? Because of whose we are. And because when they see us care about them, they're going to want to know why it is we do that. And then we can tell them it's about the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Let's stand together. I know y'all wore out, y'all tired, you're hot. But ain't it good to be in God's house with God's people? Ain't Ain't it good to hear Jesus speak in 2021 because he'll do it if we'll just let him but then we got to go do it or we just leave it on the table and it wasn't worth hearing if that's the case so let's be prepared let's go do and if today you got a need we got some folks over here at the cross that love to pray with you love to take some time to just spend with you cry out to God for your need and uh, let them do that And if you don't know Jesus as Savior I don't know what else to tell you you just got to trust him He died in your place for your sin. He rose victorious. And he can only be received by faith, believing. You can't do nothing to get it. But boy, once we got it, we got a bunch of stuff to go do in his name. Rock and roll. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the opportunity to be together. I thank you for these folks. I thank you for their love for you. And I pray that you would just draw us deeper into that love with more of our heart, with more of our soul, with more of our mind and strength. And then you've shown us how to love our neighbors, ourselves. Show us the needs this week and then convict us. Convict us hard when we're about to walk by the need that we could meet. When we're about to ignore it, just, God, put the brakes on our mind so that we'll hear what Christ said and, and do what we can. Do what's best so that we might be a witness for Christ and a glory to your name.
We love you. Take us. Use us today. Whatever way you see fit. For in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.